Blog Talk Good. Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. everyone and thank you to all of you who tune in from the United States and around the world. We are honored by your presence here. Today is a Course in Miracles virtual class with Robert Rosenthal, MD, where Dr. Bob and I break down specific sections of the course to help you gain a deeper understanding of the concepts presented. Today we'll delve into section 10 of the manual for teachers entitled How is Judgment Relinquished? Have pen and paper ready to take notes and feel free to read along with us. Listeners are invited to call in with their specific questions on this subject in the second half of the show, so feel free to call in a little later if you have a question. If you're new to the show or if you haven't uh, heard the news, uh, Dr. Bob has been on summer hiatus, and he is now back and in a very uh, different position. He is now the new co-president of the Foundation for Inner Peace, publisher of A Course in Miracles, having served on the Foundation's board of directors for almost 25 years since 1992. He was a practicing psychiatrist and psychotherapist for 32 years before retiring to take on his new position. He was introduced to the course in 1975 at the age of 20 by Judy Scutch and became a close friend and protege of Dr. Bill Thefford. Dr. Bob is the author of From Plagues to Miracles, The Transformational Journey of Exodus from the Slavery of Ego to the Promised Land of Spirit, published by Hay House. The book reinterprets the biblical story of Moses and Pharaoh as a parable of the mind's struggle to escape ego and identify once again with spirit. It is recommended you read this book prior to studying A Course in Miracles or, if you're a current student, to effortlessly deepen your understanding of the abstract concepts presented in A Course in Miracles. You can read read excerpts from the book, learn more, and find out a lot more about what Dr. Bob does at FromPlaguesToMiracles.com. As always, please send your feedback about these segments via the website, SpiritualInsightsRadio.com, and when you do, you'll receive a free guided meditation MP3 that is designed to help you and absorb course concepts and lessons directly into the subconscious mind. Very effective. If you'd like to have more reliable updates on upcoming shows, you can follow me on Twitter at Charspicer, and you can also visit Dr. Bob on Facebook on his page, From Plagues to Miracles. Well, join me in welcoming Dr. Bob back to the show after such a long break. Hello, Dr. Bob. How are you? Hi, Char. It's good to be back here. Um, as I said on my Facebook post, it's especially good because it means that I'm mostly settled in and feel like I can at least pretend to get back to some semblance of normalcy. Uh, right. Although I have to say I don't even know what that word means anymore. Any- so, yes, um, June and July, I was moving with my family. We sold our house in New Jersey. 
We bought a house in California. We packed up uh, 13 years' worth of stuff, and I'll capitalize stuff. We moved 20 tons, um, probably one ton of it just paper that the movers uh, wrapped stuff in. And all of the the craziness and hijinks that go with it. It was really pretty exhausting and stressful and was a wonderful demonstration in how the ego needs to plan and gets very, very upset when things seem to not go right. In Mm. fact, uh, if I could characterize the whole thing, it was repeated scenarios in which it appeared that that, that the whole thing was going to crash and burn, um, and then at the last minute, it just sort of straightened out, and the Red Sea parted, and we were good. So mm. there's a lesson in that for me. I can imagine. It was hard enough for me to move 10 miles from where I used to live. I can't imagine moving yeah, 3,000 miles across the country with 13 the years of the household. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a cross-country move, you know, you can't take anything over by car. I mean, you know, everything has to go when you reach a point where – Everything's being boxed up, so you have no place to put anything. And I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a little like a death and dying experience when you really look at it. There's there's got to be a profound letting go. And of course, yes. we gave away a ton of stuff. So, but I'm mm-hmm. very very happy to be here. Um, I'm in my new position as co-president of the foundation, working along with um, Tamara Morgan, who is Judy's daughter, who I've known since I was 19. Um, Judy and Bill Whitson are still very much involved. We're doing a, at least a four-month overlap here where we're all uh, helping out so that we can learn the ropes and uh, hopefully allow them to go uh, pursue the happy dream at some point. Oh, that's nice. I yeah. imagine there's a lot to do. Yeah, and in, in a lot of different venues, you know, from just – greeting people who are in the area who are course students or course teachers or both um, to dealing with, I mean, we have 25 translations now. Um, The Turkish is getting close, so that would be 26. I think Estonian just got redone. I mean, there's always something coming down the pike. And, uh, you know, but behind it all uh, stands Holy Spirit. Uh, A business planner type once asked, Judy to draw our org chart. For those of you in the corporate world, the org chart or organizational chart is the hierarchical structure that delineates the responsibilities in a corporation. So you'd have, you know, your CEO on top and then the COO and the CFO and whatever other COs are in there at the next Mm -hmm. level and then the people who report to them. Judy just drew um, a circle with everyone's names on it um, with spokes going into the middle and in the middle was holy spirit and Uh that is (laughs) yeah that's very very much the model we use when we get to a thorny issue we get together and we ask okay what are we supposed to do here or what's the right path forward and surprisingly or at least from an ego perspective surprisingly frequently we do all get the same thing or we get a modification of what we thought we were supposed to do Mm. So it's um, it, it, it's it's an honor, a responsibility, and um, and a huge life change. Yeah. You know, I closed my psychiatry practice. I am I am officially retired from psychiatry. Not retired from work, but retired from psychiatry. Are you going to miss it? 
Yeah, I miss it a little. I'm doing a little bit of phone work with some uh, some of my old clients from uh, New Jersey, so that's mm. nice. Uh, and I hope to you know keep that going for at least a year or more. Uh, mm-hmm. I enjoy it. I, I feel like you know I have a responsibility to them too. But by and large, it's shifting, and I have a lot of writing to do now too. Um, I am embarking on the first book of what will be a series on the principles of Course in Miracles, although uh, the idea is to make it accessible to new students while at the same time delivering something for uh, old students, veteran students. So it's kind of a tough challenge, but it's not going to be another book that's just chock full of course quotes. I'm going to be trying to kind of approach it from different concepts and the first mm-hmm. book will will very much be focused on, you know, well, kind of the theme of your show, Change Your Mind, Change Your Life, but with the idea okay. that the self, you know, that we can't really change our life until we realize that the ego self that we've identified with is an imposter. You know, I like to joke we're all victims of identity theft. Uh, oh. And until we recognize it and, you know, kind of reclaim our real identity and spirit, uh-huh. then I don't care what techniques you're using, whether it's the secret or Buddhist manifestation or whatever it is, even Mm -hmm. if it works for a while, eventually it's going to hit the rocks. Um, Whereas when you realize that who you thought you are is not your real self and that your real self is something far more beautiful, resplendent, light-filled, and peaceful, and therefore happy and joyous than you ever could have imagined, well, now you've got a path to happiness, and it doesn't matter what happens out in the world, because as the Course tells us, what happens in the world is just a projection of what's going on in our minds in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel I feel like something must be going right, because I'm living in a house that I love far more than I expected. You know, oh. ego creeps in and tells you that if you're going to do a change or if you're going to be spiritual, there has to be a sacrifice somewhere. I mean, isn't mm-hmm. this at the heart of Christianity? So mm-hmm. even though I've been you know, working with this material for 40 years, there was still this sense of, yeah, I'm moving to California. Houses are a fortune. Um, you know, there's going to be a sacrifice. I'll be living somewhere smaller that I don't like. And I was fully prepared to embrace that. The way things played out at both ends, you know, we're we're in a house that's really we love it. The back the um, backyard, the out of doors, it's just very easy to sit in. Of course, the weather here is, you know, like like nothing like New Jersey. I mean, it's mm-hmm. cool at night and warm in the day with a little bit of heat. So you want to be out of doors. There's no humidity, uh, mm. and and it just feels like a great place to kind of enter this next phase. So. Um, yeah, and, and like any rebirth or birth, there there were labor pains, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, actually, mm-hmm. I actually wound up in the ER after we were all done. Um, I won't go into any details, but it was just classic. Like, oh, great, now my body's you know feeling the effects of this, but yeah. um, turned out not to be anything significant. Thanks okay, so. well, yeah. I think you'll be very happy in your new home, and I know for a fact you'll. You'll never be bored at the foundation with everything that goes on and everything, like you said, coming down the pike. It's exciting about the new translations and all the all the work you guys are doing. And um, I yeah. think a lot of great things are happening right now. And I think the timing's perfect, as always. You know, you sound happy. Totally agree. Yeah, thank you. Totally agree. 
Totally know how hard the winters are on you, so I'm I'm sure you'll be a lot more peaceful weather-wise oh, in that yeah. environment. Well, and you know, uh, just we were in a neighborhood that lost power frequently, and when we lose power, when we lost power, our sump pump wouldn't work. We had a generator, but occasionally the generator would be hard to start. Yes, there are all these other variables, um, all all good tests, and here, uh, you know, those just they're not in the picture. Um, and I, so I do think it's going to be good. Um, one of the things that I will do on this segment going forward is, you know, update people on sort of the latest from the foundation, um, you okay. know, projects that we're doing, um, products that we might be coming out with. Uh, we are still in the midst of a total top to bottom reworking of our website. Uh, and I think out of that will come a lot more, a lot more things that this foundation has not done before. Um, okay. So <laughs> exciting times, and stay tuned, as they say. Hard work, yeah. Well, I'll be happy yeah. to promote all of it. Are you, by any okay. chance, a thought just there in my head? Are you, by any chance, close to where uh, Bill Theffert used to live? Very, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Bill lived in Tiburon, uh, which is where Judy and Witt still live. Um, mm -hmm. I'm in Novato, which is about, I don't know, 10 miles north of there. Um, I actually like the weather better. It's, it's, it's warmer and less foggy here, but okay. yes, uh, this is, this is, this is the area that Bill moved out to, um, you know, pretty much with Judy when she left New York, um, you know, back in, I don't remember when it was 1978, I'm guessing somewhere around there. Uh, mm -hmm. and you know, she's stayed here ever since, and uh, this is where the foundation is based. We have a post office box in Mill Valley, but really Judy's house is still, um, you know, mission control for all that's going on. I assume that someday um, my house might be that, or or maybe we jump back and forth between Tam's house and mine. Okay. Well, yeah. I offer a huge energetic hug to everybody. And uh, I'm very excited to see how things move forward. And I'm happy for you. I really am. Thank you. Thank you so much. You deserve much. it. Thank you. So, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting summer. Uh, the show's been going well. And uh, we have a couple new uh, segments that have been added that are rather interesting. And uh, I thought you might be interested in the one. Um, you know, of course, you know how my life goes. One thing happens, then the next, and boom, it's it's all different. Uh, a woman got in touch with me, and she had a client who happens to be a channel. And there are channels out there. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. The way I channel, and, and I believe you too, like, you know, we hear the words, and then we write it down or type it or just relay it. But there are channels out there where an ascended being can use their body to speak with and speak directly. Uh, so we started a new uh series on the show and i called it uh the Masterclass educational series uh guidance from spirit channeled messages from ascended beings and one of those beings is a personality a being uh who was alive during the time of christ uh we knew each other actually and his name is abram the mayan shaman and he has a very unique style of teaching he's very direct um, very knowledgeable, and he he handles more the metaphysics side of things, but he teaches a lot about reality and manifestation, and it goes really well. But the other one came as a bit of a surprise. 
And this is a woman named Danielle Gibbons, and I've invited her to be co-host along with us and the team. And she channels Mother Mary. So I've had Mother Mary on the show twice. I'll have to send you the links. She had me in tears at the end of the first one and then had me laughing in the second one. She's wonderful, and um, uh, we talked about Jesus. Oh, just so many good things. I'll send you the link so you can hear it, and I'll probably send a memo out to the team and get everybody on the same page now that you're all settled. But that's where I'm at. I'm excited. I've been floating since June. Well, you know, it's just constant unfolding, and um, and you know when you <clears throat> when you step back and let him lead the way, uh, you never know where it's going to go and who's going to show mm-hmm. up. But I you know. know it's going to be good. You know it's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just so excited and peaceful and content and just um, it's all good. It's all it's like, uh-huh. you know, it's like one of those things where you're in love with life again. That kind of feeling, yeah. That's how it should be. That's what they tell that, us. Yep. Yes, it's beautiful. Okay, so you know, judgment's a huge judgment. thing, and a, a lot of people oh. know they shouldn't be judging, but it begs the question, you know, well, how do you not do it? And that's why this section is so important. How is judgment relinquished? So what we're going to do is we're going to read through the paragraphs one by one, offer our translations. And then I'm I'm going to add some tips at the end on how to release judgment, okay? Yeah, and uh, I'll probably wander into some byways and help. Uh, I I'd like I always like to tie in, you know, specific course topics and themes with the overall um, sort of theory and paradigm of the course. So I'm going to do some of that. Um, and hopefully we can see how judgment hurts you by reinforcing the whole idea that the separation was real. Yes. All right. Should I start reading or? Yes. Go right ahead. I have All my right. notes that so, I made right here. This is from the Manual for Teachers. It is Section 10, titled How is Judgment Relinquished? It's on page 27 of the Manual for Teachers. How is Judgment Relinquished? Judgment, like other devices by which the world of illusions is maintained, is totally misunderstood by the world. It is actually confused with wisdom and substitutes for truth. As the world uses the term, an individual is capable of, quote, good and, quote, bad judgment, and his education aims at strengthening the former and minimizing the latter. There is, however, considerable confusion about what these categories mean. What is good judgment to one is bad judgment to another. Further, even the same person classifies the same action as showing, quote, good judgment at one time and, quote, bad judgment at another time. Nor can any consistent criteria for determining what these categories are be really taught. At any time, the student may disagree with what his would-be teacher says about them and the teacher himself may well be inconsistent in what he believes. Quote, good judgment in these terms does not mean anything. No more does, quote, bad. So. Good stuff. Yeah. So right away, um, you know, where I'm guided to go first on this is the whole idea of good and bad 
and what do those really mean? I mean, they're, they're, they're such a cornerstone of religious thinking in the West, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, and, um, you know, such that I, I suspect if we canvass people, there are quite a few who believe that, you know, if they're good, they're going to go to heaven, and if they're bad, they're going to go to hell. Um, I always joke that, no, God doesn't judge that way. Only Santa Claus uh, wants to know if you've been naughty or nice. <laughs> um, so, you know, but the whole <laughs> the Santa Claus <laughs> oh in the contract. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so the whole idea that there are absolute categories of good and bad that exist within a world of form immediately gets us into trouble because, as the course points out, a world of form is by definition illusion, and when you're in the world of illusion. Nothing is as it seems, nothing is, period. You know, it would be sort of like uh, being inside a dream and going, oh, I like this character in the dream, and I like the way this went, and I don't like this character in the dream. Mm -hmm. Now, we do talk about good and bad dreams um, when we wake up, but that's purely on the basis of how much fear were we aware of in the dream or how much did it go the way we want uh, if you're interested in that, there's a section of the text called The Basis of the Dream that you know you could check out. Maybe we'll do that some po at some point. But the whole concept of good and bad uh, is, 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 is bedrock to the ego because the ego loves telling you that you've been bad um, and that you could be good or that you've been really, really good and therefore you're better than others and deserve more, or that you've been really, really bad and you're worse than others and you deserve punishment. What the Course does is it comes along and it says, you don't have the ability to judge anything, and we'll see that you know more later in this section. And mm -hmm. therefore, um, the categories of good and bad that you apply are really completely you know, random and capricious. Actually, they're rooted in your own past history. But even there, like everything with the ego, it's completely inconsistent. So you could try something at one point in your life. You know, you're going for a job interview and you decide to be very forthright and, um, and, and certain and a little bit pushy. And lo and behold, the person likes you and you get the job. Uh, and five years later, you're looking for another one and you go, oh, that worked before. That's I'm going to do that again, uh, and you get a different person in a different situation, and they can't stand you, and you didn't get the job. Everything in the world of form shifts, and I believe that ultimately this is for the purpose of our learning, because if it worked one time and it doesn't work another time, then it can't be absolute truth. Truth is always true. Truth doesn't change. Truth doesn't blow in the wind. Um, so ultimately, we learn that all of our attempts to plan and manipulate and, yes, judge, ultimately come to naught. And that's what this first paragraph is saying, as, as I hear it. Um, you know, we think having good judgment is, is about wisdom. Um, we hear our two presidential uh, candidates both touting their ability, you know, to be good judges and to make good choices. What the Course says is poppycock. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's not in your control, and uh, you know, and, and and good judgment is is basically in the eye of the beholder. Uh, yeah, and that's not the but, eye of spirit. It's a bunch Go of ahead. malarkey. Yeah. So, what what are your thoughts? Well, I had a few. Um, I like the first sentence. 
It says judgment like other devices by which the world of illusions is maintained. So I got curious about those other devices, so I tried to make a little list. Maybe you can add to it. So I, I checked in a little bit, and I made this list. Separation, of course. You know, that's, that's the whole goal is to maintain the idea right. of separation through the ego. Uh, authority. You know, you've, you've read about the authority problem and the authorship and how we believe that we are the authors of our lives. Um, perception, duality, data processing through thought and um, trying to interpret what we see, think, feel, hear. Um, but then I got this, this came to me, intimidation to assert power. And mm. I, th- I thought that was pretty interesting because it, it, there is like a force, uh, there's a forcefulness when we try to manipulate the illusion that we see ourselves in. And we want to assert power over the illusion. And then, depending on the judgment you employ, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, Yeah. You like that? Other devices. I mean, yeah, the ego has, you know, a whole uh, bag of tricks for keeping us befuddled and dreaming. You know, Mm -hmm. I would add um, guilt. Uh, I'd add sacrifice. You know, the notion that, that it's a zero-sum game and everything you get, uh, you know, there's a payback somewhere that we get at the expense of others and that they get at the expense of us. I would add um, the body and illness. Uh, Even Mm -hmm. the idea of death is an ego device because death forces us, and I'll put force in quotes, to identify with the physical body and believe that, that when the body's life ends, our life ends. And indeed, if we're identified with our body, there there is truth to that. So I, I really like that because what it does, what you're saying is, you know, we get to kind of position judgment as just one of these. Um, I was going to say seven deadlies, but they're way more than seven, and they're really not deadly at all unless we believe in them. Uh, you know, these these ego uh, you know ego tricks that that are designed to keep us confused and therefore turning away from the voice for God, the Holy Spirit. Yes. And, and what I do like about this section is it gives us an opportunity to speak on um, something, you know, that is dear to my heart because I, I do uh, practice non-judgment. Um, and people would be surprised that, yeah, I mean, there are some pretty huge judgments. Um, in order to pick a president, you have to make a judgment, you know. Um, you have to choose for or against somebody. But you would be surprised how minor judgment can be. And it may be seemingly harmless, but if we follow the true message of the Course, any form of judgment is an attack on ourselves. So we're going to dig into those as we go. Yes. Um, ready for paragraph two? Absolutely. Okay, here we go. It is necessary for the teacher of God to realize, not that he should not judge, but that he cannot In giving up judgment, he is merely giving up what he did not have. He gives up an illusion, or better, he has an illusion of giving up. He has actually merely become more honest. Recognizing that judgment was always impossible for him, he no longer attempts it. This is no sacrifice. On the contrary, he puts himself in a position where judgment through him, rather than by him, can occur. And this judgment is neither, quote, nor bad. It is the only judgment there is, and it is only one. Quote, God's son is guiltless, and sin does not exist. 
and this really supports what you were saying earlier. It's it's not that you shouldn't. You really don't have the ability because if you're if you're in an illusion and you're trying to judge an illusion based on fact, what fact are you using? What factual thoughts? You know, what what facts do you have to um, scrutinize? Because your facts would then be illusions too. So here's my here's my definition of wisdom as it you know was mentioned in the first paragraph. Um, I love how he says um, it, it's confused with them, wisdom. I came up with this, I guess, in my 20s. And what, what makes a person wise? And I think these steps help me. Maybe they'll help all of you. My definition is for four things, observation, analyzation, integration, and application. And I came to this because you need to pull back with detached awareness and just observe what's going on. And a concept that I grew up with, from the t- from first grade on is something my mother told me and she said don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see and throughout my childhood i would see instances surely where i was falsely accused of something or a criticism that was made that was not based on truth it was based on their perception and they didn't know the real story you know all those think of all those things about how people perceive wrongly whether it's about you or how you did it to someone else case in point um when when they you know don't believe anything you hear when someone comes to you and says i heard you can bet that this story is now coming through more than one filter from the first person to the second the more people that tell the story the bigger it gets so how can you believe it i would want to go see the truth and and in case of rumors i would go to the person that the rumor was about and say what happened what's the truth and here's the truth and it's nothing like the story um as far as only half of what you see there's been a number of times, you know, when I was a kid or a teenager, and I would see a friend from school, and I had a lot of guy friends. I, I got along well um, with a, a lot of people, and someone saw me walking down the street with a guy, and next thing you know, there's a rumor that I'm dating, or they might have used another vulgar word, uh, I'm dating this guy. And I just, you know, when it really struck me, and I said, why would you draw that conclusion just because you saw me talking to somebody, and I walked into the corner? It's absurd. So that drove that lesson home for me. So I made a practice of not believing anything I see. Don't make assumptions. um, And don't believe anything you hear. Ask for the truth. And so that really helped me. And then coming up with this small list, what I would do is observe and see what it felt like. I would would go um, more spiritual in my observations. Analyze the data that you can collect and you feel you can count on. Does it make sense to make an assumption? No. Analyze it in a way that you can see the different parts. Then you integrate what you learn from it, but then you have to apply it. You're not going to acquire wisdom if you don't apply what you learned, even if you're mistaken, but you think you're doing okay, but apply it, and then you get better. Excuse me, I have a bit of a cough. But yeah, um... Okay, so I, I think. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, um, I just you know I, I, that I, that was my my notes that I just wanted to touch on. But give me yeah, your thoughts, sure. and then I'll break into a couple of these sentences. Okay, um, why don't you, no, you can go ahead and, uh, you know, I was going to play off of that. Um, you know, the course would say, don't believe even half of what you see. Don't believe anything you see. And mm-hmm. I was going to um, address that in terms of even the actual process of perception of seeing, you know, what is seeing 
and how is it constructed because we really do see what we expect to see. Um, and and uh-huh. I think when we can begin to sort of loosen the, uh, the bonds of perception and get away from that, you know, uh, that, that, well, seeing is believing. Uh, in fact, for my first book, we were kicking around titles, the publisher and I, and, you know, one of the titles that I wanted to use, although I'll probably end up using it as a subtitle, is Believing is Seeing. It starts with the belief, and then you see what you want to see. That's certainly mm. apparent in the political process. It's also apparent in any football game. Um, but, you know, even more so, there was the, a, a great little um, experiment that circulated on the Internet a while ago where it showed you a circle of people and asked you to count the number of times that they bounced uh, a basketball or passed a basketball back and forth. Mm-hmm. And so you're watching the basketball, and at the end they say, okay, how many times, and did anything else happen in this video? And a, gor- a guy in a gorilla suit walks right through the middle of the room while you're watching, but the vast majority of people don't even see the guy in the gorilla suit walking through the circle because they've been instructed to count the number of passes, and that's what they're mm-hmm. focused on. I love that I, show. I think it's a wonderful example of, yeah, what you even see is totally influenced by what you expect to see, by your perceptions. Um, I, I had a very funny story. Uh, you know, I was talking about during my move how things seem to be, okay, it's not going to work, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. So let me give this was just absolute classic in this regard. Um, We were buying our house out here uh, first um, for a whole variety of reasons. So we had to get a mortgage and get it very, very quickly. And I'm dealing with all these people over the phone. I was a uh, quote unquote victim of identity theft a couple years ago. So the IRS will not release my tax returns without my direct say-so. And, of course, you know, you're applying for a mortgage. They need their own copies of tax returns. The Mm -hmm. catch is that as a victim of identity theft, you have to call the IRS, and they will fax it to you, but they will only fax it to you at the exact address. You know, you have to be physically present at the fax machine. Well, I was in New Jersey. They needed it in California. It was exquisitely uncomfortable. It's like, okay, I have to lie to the IRS. But I called. I got a very, very nice woman on the phone. We're going through the whole thing. Um, And they need two years of tax returns. So she says, um, all right, you know, I'm faxing it now. Is it coming through? And I'm kind of like, uh, uh. Uh, yeah, I think it is. And she says, well, which one is coming through? And I said, well, actually, I'm not in the room where it's coming through right now. But, and, you know, and she kind of knew what was going on, and and she went ahead with it, and I assumed all was well. Well, um, remember, I'm in New Jersey. This is all the the mortgage stuff is going on in, you know, California in the 415 area code. About four Uh or five hours later, I get um, a text from a 415 number, and I've been getting these all the time from the mortgage broker, from the mortgage broker's assistant. You know, I'm not looking at the numbers, and I don't have them in my contact list. So I get a 415 text that says, Bob, it didn't come through. Do you know who you spoke to? Well, my head is completely in mortgage land. I've been very worried about this thing. I immediately went to this place of, oh, my God, it didn't come through? 
you know, I know who I spoke to, but I can't call her back and say, oh, yeah, I told you it was coming through and I'm at the fax machine and now it didn't come through. And why mm-hmm. did these people get a hold of me earlier? And I'm thinking, okay, that's it. No mortgage, you know, the whole thing is scuttled. And at some point in this process, um, oh, that's right, I texted back, um, you know, with all of this, and then got another text saying, I'm confused, I'm not sure what you're talking about, Bob. (laughs) And then I realized that the text was from a friend of mine out here who I will occasionally prescribe, um, you know, something to sleep with uh, for, and that uh-huh. what he was saying is the prescription I'd called into the pharmacy the day before didn't come through. And did I know oh, who no. I spoke with? But my interpretation, based on my mindset, was, oh, my God, this is it. You know, the IRS thing didn't come through, and we're screwed. And I just started laughing. I mean, because in that one moment, as the Course calls it, my perception completely shifted and did so in a way that was like, okay, I was already on the verge of making new plans and feeling like our whole move to California was scuttled, or at least for several months. Uh-huh. And then it was kind of like, oh, never mind. That that actually never happened. And it made me think of the section on forgiveness where it says forgiveness recognizes what, that what your brother did to you has not occurred. Um, I think it's a great example. And even though in this one, I could say, well, my mistake, you know, I read it wrong. I believe, I know that for all of us, this is happening all the time. We are making assumptions and judgments and then devising action plans based on those assumptions and judgments and Mm -hmm. further reaction plans based on what happens after we put our action plan into play. And it's all based on false assumptions because perception itself is inherently faulty. You know, we are using a tool to navigate life. You know, it's like someone's telling you you're going to drive, you know, from, uh, you know, Florida to New York um, and your GPS is all screwed up and it's taking you south when you want to go north. You're never going to get where you want to go. It, It just won't work. We are all using perception, which is a faulty tool. But every mm. once in a while, you get one of these examples that just, you know, throws water on the cold water on the whole idea that that there even is an objective truth. So what the course tells us is, any time you are using perception, you are making plans, you're in judgment, um, give it up. Well, how do we know that? This is where you need some operational way to know, and I think the easy answer is the test of of, of truth, the test of peace. Are you feeling peaceful? You know, if you have done something or believe that, you know, your judgment is allowing you a sense of peace, I don't mean satisfaction, not like that SOB got what was coming to him, and I feel good about that. No, Uh I mean a sense that there's no conflict around this, that, that whatever decision emerges will be a win-win-win for all involved, um, then, yeah, it's probably coming from Holy Spirit. And I go back to one of the prayers that is one of my mainstays. I mean, I probably use it more than any other or maybe about the same as with the healer's prayer from uh, early in the text, which is from, you know, chapter 14, section 11, the test of truth. The prayer is, you know, I do not know what anything including this, means. And so I do not know how to respond to it, and I will not use my own past learning as the light to guide me now. 
because that's what we do, isn't it? We use our past as the basis for judging what's going on in the present. And therefore, the past determines what we're seeing. Um, And therefore, we're not open to a new perception. We're not open to the Holy Spirit's reinterpretation that could allow for a miracle to come in. Um, You know, for me, sitting there with that text and then getting the reply that says, I'm confused, I don't know what you're talking about, that was a miracle. Because my Mm -hmm. reality was absolutely, we are screwed, and suddenly I was completely wrong. And I, I, you know... And, uh, and and that happened several times in the course of the move. I won't go into some of the other stories at this point because of lack uh-huh. of time. But, but I think, yes, when we're using our own judgment, um, you know, we're in trouble. We've got a, you know, a, a, a faulty, uh, defective GPS system, and guaranteed we're lost, and we're going to be going in circles, and we're not going to know what anything means. Once right. we're aware of that, now we've got a tool. We can step back. We can let, you know, Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Christ lead the way, um, our Moses mind, uh, and uh, suddenly things just start to work. And that's mm-hmm. what I say to people about A Course in Miracles is if you start A Course in Miracles and you have no preparation for it, you're not going to believe it. You're going to think it's an insane system, and why would anybody in their right mind do it? Um, and, of course, what the Course says is, no, your system of thinking is insane. And the only way you can learn that is to try something different and experience the results, see see what happens. And that's what I tell people is don't believe it, don't not believe it. Try it. See what happens. You know, um, is it a better mousetrap? Well, actually, it's not a mousetrap at all. It's what sets you free. So um, a little yeah. bit of a, a, a diversion, a, a story there, but it was just, it was so classic for me. And like I said, I've been doing this a very long time, and yet, boy, you know, we are all tripped up by judgments and false interpretations all the time. Um, yeah. And yet, and- when this is your commitment, they melt away like like snow in the sunshine. They do, and there's okay. there's something so else gonna... going on beneath the surface that I wanted to touch on with respect to this Please. paragraph. Like it says, we're unable to judge. We do not have the ability. Um, but what I do feel we do is we assert the power of for and against. That's judgment. You're either for or against over the illusion just to justify judgment and to prove that your judgment is real. So you can't, you can't just um, – before or against without backing it up with truth. So what happens is when we let go of our personal preferences and biases, uh, biases about reality, we create the illusion of relinquishment, but we basically align our thought to truth and away from separation. And that's what it means by you just become more honest because now you're in more alignment with truth. So what is the truth of this situation? Since I can't uh, believe anything I see and since everything I see means nothing, then that's when you ask the Holy Spirit, you tell me what this means because I don't have the history or the future knowledge to determine um, what the appropriate judgment would be. So giving that up, yeah, there is no sacrifice, and therefore there's no reason to grieve a loss or fear the outcome of the situation or you attack or revenge to level the perceived playing field. You're not giving up anything by relinquishing what you think is happening in front of you. You can just let it be what it is because – we can't judge what does not exist. Um, 
we can move away from the negatives. I mean, there are things that we want to stay away from, negative people, negative situations. That's fine. But we do want to maintain a level of acceptance that it is an illusion so that its interpretation can be given to us rather than decided based on our conclusions because we just don't know. You can't possibly know everything there is to know about a situation. I know there are some bad ones, but we're talking about the normal, you know, judging of others and situations like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the next paragraph is going to get us into that for sure. Although you triggered another thought uh, on my mm-hmm. end, uh, and this is how it works, folks. This is why we why we do this show. But, yeah, once we're into, you know, making judgments, we have to believe in our judgments, which gets us into the whole arena of right and wrong. So we believe our judgments are right, which, guess what, ipso facto makes other people's judgments wrong. I, um, I, I, I'm a couples therapist, and I've worked with, you know, couples uh, for over 20 years. And, you know, this is what you see. Someone makes a judgment about how, how, how a phone call should be handled, and they're standing behind their spouse telling them what they should be saying. Well, you know, if you know what you want to say, you get on the phone and say it. Maybe they have a different way of doing it, and their way might work just as well as yours. Who knows? It might even work better. So judgment gets us to um, another, you know, course greatest hits line. Do you prefer that you be right or that you be happy? If you're right, you're making judgments. Um, And by definition, you won't be happy. You might be right, but you're not going to be happy. If your uh, intention, your determination, your commitment, your dedication is to happiness, is to a sense of peace, then you know you don't make judgments. And Mm. what follows and it's important to enter the whole arena with love you know look at the situation with love and and through the eyes of god and you know make your determination as best you can but approach it with um fear or hatred it's not going to go your way you can't feel good starting that we're using those tools so if you approach it with love chances are maybe you won't be right but you might be happy if you apply it the correct way. So that's good stuff. Yeah, it's indeed, it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I should okay. probably get reading here. Cause, <laughs> so paragraph yeah. three. Yeah, and then I have a few tips at the end I want to offer everybody as a little bit of homework. <laughs> yeah, sure, we'll get there. Um, okay. And I just want to say this is one of my more favorite paragraphs in A Course in Miracles. I quoted this in From Plagues to Miracles, uh, so I take great delight reading this. <clears throat> The aim, of our curric- uh, the aim of our curriculum, unlike the goal of the world's learning, is the recognition that judgment, in the usual sense, is impossible. This is not an opinion, but a fact. In order to judge anything rightly, one would have to be fully aware of an inconceivably wide range of things, past, present, and to come. One would have to recognize in advance all the effects of his judgments on everyone and everything involved in them in any way. And one would have to be certain there is no distortion in his perception so that his judgment would be wholly fair to everyone on whom it rests now and in the future. Who is in a position to do this? Who, except in grandiose fantasies, would claim this for himself? And and I just love this because... It, it lays out exactly how fallible our judgments are. And when you think about it, like, yeah, for a judgment to be absolutely accurate, 
it would have to know all the circumstances that are pertinent, you know, all the people affected and the people affected by those people and the people affected by those people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you, it, it, it allows us to be humble without feeling belittled. Because a lot of times someone says, you know, the Course says, well, let go of your judgments, and there's a little bit of a pushback. Well, what do you mean? You know, I, I need my judgment to live, uh, you know. And, and, yes, there's a certain degree of truth to that. I mean, you know, if you see a red light, you're going to stop. Um, you know, when you're hungry, you can make a judgment that it's an okay time to eat. But overall, in terms of your sense of yourself in the world, and most important, your sense of your relationships, which, after all, is, 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 is the fundamental unit of healing, um, <clears throat> you know, in that world, to recognize no, you don't know anything. You can't. And that that's not uh, a slight on you. It's not a reflection on your inability. It's the human condition. You don't know. You can't know. But you have access to an energy, to a being, capital B, that does know. And when you step back and let that being make the choices, um, as I said earlier, the Red Sea parts. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. this is why 12-step programs work. Because people learn to let go of their own judgments and their own ways to try to, you know, stop whatever addictive behaviors they're engaged in and say, you know, I I turn this over. Um, The moment they turn it over, there's a power that enters their lives that that could not enter before because they wouldn't let it. You know, in, in in our arrogance and grandiosity, we say to God, no, God, I got this one, which essentially oh, means, God. no, God, I can do it better than you. Think about that. And, yeah. uh, and, I, and that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> I didn't, did I, uh, I did make a note, uh, and you mentioned dreams earlier. I did make a note um, uh, for an example. Call to mind a dream where something disturbing, frightening, embarrassing, or horrifying took place. In many of these dreams, there's little reaction on our part. Or from others. Now, there's two scenarios. Let's, let's take nudity in dreams because it's one of the easiest. It, hmm. A lot of times, you know, you could be in a crowded room or walking down a street and you're partially unclothed. And the interesting about these, the, the interesting thing about these dreams is that we know how we feel, but if you look around, nobody else seems to notice that you're not covered. <laughs> it's because they can't, they can't tell how you feel. That's just one example I wanted to come up with, like. Um, with regard to, you know, that judgment. Nobody's judging you. Nobody even notices you don't have your clothes on. Look at how that feels. And yet you feel judged and embarrassed. It's a great, so yeah, it's a great just to, one. Yeah, just to, just to point, have a concrete illustration. Okay, you could take that and look at your dreams. And if something horrifying is happening, a lot of times, like for my clients, um, but look at how you're reacting you were totally calm and just watching what was happening. And that's what we should be doing in, in, in a lot of senses. And we say this, you know, pretty often, life is the illusion. What happens in dreams reflects truth. So it's telling you, no, be calm, be still. It's just an illusion. No reason to judge or react. Just let it be. And a lot of dreams, in, in my experience, point to that, to be calm and to consciously take on the posture that you had in the dream, which was non-reactive and non-judgmental of what was taking place. So I just wanted to touch on that, and that's, that's yeah, it. Yeah, and you know, if you do that, I mean, if, if in a dream 
you get to that place of, oh, wait a minute, this is just a dream. Now you've gone lucid in the dream. You've essentially uh-huh. woken up. Uh, and, you know, um, I, I, I've trained myself at this point when I wake up to go, okay, if I'm awake in a dream, I want to fly. And then I start lifting off the ground, and it's pretty cool uh-huh. until I either wake up or go into the next dream. But that's the idea. If you recognize this dream, you wake up, and now, you know, it, it starts feeling very, very good. It's, and this is just a different type of dream. Take those stances, those emotional postures, as I call them, and look at life this way. Okay, it's there. It's a solid object. Matter and molecules are holding something together, whether it's a fence or a table. But look at it like it is a dream, because it really is, especially if you follow the course. It's, it's an illusion. So you can, you can pull yourself out of that personal, uh, subjective and go into the impersonal and the objective and be curious about it. Well, what what is it? What is its function? What is its purpose? And if you can apply that in the dream state and then in waking life, you'll be infinitely more more calm. And, and I feel that way because there's very little that happens in my waking life that I'm not busy interpreting. You know what I mean? Keeps Absolutely. me occupied. Keeps, keeps people like me occupied, you know, so I'm not, so I'm not doing something – that isn't really good for my mental health, you know. But it's all grist for the mill, you know. I mean, so uh, whenever we're we're interpreting, uh, you know, we're we're either using our right mind or our ego mind. And, right. You know, and always, and in any given moment, the power of decision remains ours, and we can choose who is our teacher. Well, that's what I've always said when I first found the course. And really got into it. Within about a month, I, I came to the conclusion. I said, I don't have to make another decision for as long as I live. Uh, I don't. I don't have to decide. I can choose, but I don't have to decide and worry about whether or not I'm making the right decision. So I ask. And so very little, very very few things. Even food. Do I? Does my body want this or does my body want that? Do I need this yeah. kind of protein or fish? And my body tells me, okay, you got it doesn't matter what mood I'm in. Am I in the mood for fish? doesn't matter. I just go for whatever my body says. So it's, it's a, a, a lot easier to live that way. I, I wish it for everybody. Yeah, my own okay. qualification is not really your body telling you. It's, you know, that higher self uh, that knows what your body needs to be a right. vehicle of, you know, teaching, learning, and communication and brings mm-hmm. it through. So technical mm-hmm. fine point. Yeah. It, it's all good. You know, just add. Yeah. Don't determine. Okay, well, let's go on to uh, paragraph four, and we have two more after this. Okay, here we go. Remember how many times you thought you knew all the facts you needed for judgment and how wrong you were, exclamation point. Is there anyone who has not had this experience? Would you know how many times you merely thought you were right without ever realizing you were wrong? Why would you choose such an arbitrary basis for decision-making? Wisdom is not judgment. It is the relinquishment of judgment. Make, then, but one more judgment. It is this. There is someone with you whose judgment is perfect. He does know all the facts, past, present, and to come. He does know all the effects of his judgment on everyone and everything involved in any way. And he is wholly fair to everyone, for there is no distortion in his perception. And that's basically what we were saying a couple minutes ago. He knows the whole history. He has all the facts that determine what 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 is happening in any given situation we don't we don't know the 
here's how Mother Mary would put it. All the millions of moments that led up to this one, you would have to have a full understanding of that, undistorted, in order to know what's really happening. Mm. Yeah, it's good stuff. But I think that's yeah. pretty self-explanatory. Wisdom isn't judgment. It's the relinquishment of judgment. So wisdom, then, is that detached awareness. Relinquish for or against all your preferences, all your biases, and just see it, try to see it for what it is. Did you want to add to any of that? Um, no, I think it, 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 you know, what you said and what that paragraph said kind of speaks for itself. Um, you know, I, I, I love the, the line where it says, <clears throat> you know, how many times in your life have you thought you've been correct where you weren't, but you didn't even know it? Um, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that we've just been making these judgments and, and going through our worlds and our lives willy nilly, you know, it's kind of like we trample on things and we don't even know what we're trampling on, um, in, in our judgments. And it also sort of feeds into the course's idea about arrogance and humility. You know, the, the course is the ego's arrogant, the idea that, that you can, with the help of Holy Spirit, make perfect judgments isn't arrogance it's 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 i mean it's it's appropriate whereas the idea that you know hey god i'll take this one that's arrogance mm, mm-hmm. all right um i love this next paragraph go on and read yeah. paragraph five mm-hmm. therefore lay judgment down not with regret but with a sigh of gratitude Now are you free of a burden so great that you could merely stagger and fall down beneath it? And it was all illusion, nothing more. Now can the teacher of God rise up unburdened and walk lightly on? Yet it is not only this that is his benefit. His sense of care is gone, for he has none. He has given it away along with judgment. He gave himself to him, capital H, he gave himself to him whose judgment he has now chosen he has chosen now to trust instead of his own now he makes no mistakes his guide is sure and where he came to judge he comes to bless where now he laughs he used to come to weep that's beautiful i love that paragraph mm-hmm. sense of care is gone think of care as stress anxiety that foreboding, you know, what's the future going to bring? Let go of judgment. You're not going to worry about it. You're you're free and you're carefree, you know? Yes. How are you going to pay that bill? Well, you know, you're going to turn it over and you're not you're not sure, but you make a decision a decision that you'd rather be in a place of peace and love than than fear and uh, defensiveness. Um, how are you going to talk to that friend or that you know brother or sister who really hurt you? Well, you know, don't plan your words. Start by setting the intention, an intention for peace, an intention for love, an intention for healing. And then on that basis, turn it over and see what comes your way. Um, you know, again, you know, recognize that on your own, you can't do it because you're not on your own. And and this is where, you know, at the most fundamental level, what a judgment does is it reinforces the idea that we are a separate being with our own private life. And as the section on the laws of of chaos talks about, 
with a different truth than everyone else. If we all have a different truth, then, boy, we're going to make a judgment that's best for us, and we're going to compete and attack and defend, uh, and then look around and see what kind of world that gives rise to. Not terribly pretty and certainly not peaceful. So, so judgment at the most fundamental level is like an energetic investment in the separation and in the idea that perception is real, other people are different than you, and the moment you've made that energetic uh, investment, you know, it's like investing in a failing company. It's going to go bankrupt. It's, it, it's like, you know, going into a terrible part of town, um, trailing $100 bills behind you. You're going to get attacked. Uh, you know, you have set it up by, by investing your belief system, your energy, in something that's not real. And illusions will just keep spinning you around and around and around. Um, until you wake up. And at some point, yes, uh, you know, you, you see the pain, you realize it hasn't been worked, that the way you've been trying it hasn't been working. I, I think this is why so many um, veteran course students are older, because after a certain age, you've tried it a bunch of ways, and you've, you know, you've had things that you thought would bring you happiness that didn't, and you've had frustrations, and you know that, yeah, you know, judgment and triumphs and uh, these things are not all they're cracked up to be. Whereas I remember, you know, reading the course in my 20s and feeling like, well, you know, holy relationship all well and good, but I don't know. I'd like to try that special relationship thing. That still has a lot of appeal. You know, I'd like to be famous. I'd like to be rich. I, you know, so there's a certain degree of experience that I, I think is almost required, not for everybody, but for most of us, to get us to a place of reading these words that we just read in this paragraph and saying, amen, you know, I can let go of judgment and let go of my sense of care. You know, I'm free of a burden so great that I could merely stagger and fall down beneath it. What an image of what we've all been carrying and trying to do here. Absolutely. And I love the way you said all that. I, I attribute it to a spiritual maturity, whether you know the course or not. But there's a spiritual maturity that needs to be reached so that when you do look back and say, oh, okay, if I had handled that differently, it probably would have gone differently, but I know better now. It's all about knowing better now, being in the now. And yeah. knowledge is certain. The, the, the good news, ladies and gentlemen, is that we can ask what the appropriate response, what the appropriate choice is to make and get that answer if you truly listen and you can get it. But yeah, it's like, you know, we, we mature on different levels at different times, but when you get into that spiritual maturity, you don't have the struggles with yourself that we used to in our twenties and our thirties and our teens, you know? Yeah. Cause at that, at those ages we're building our ego and we think that's a good thing. Um, you know, with spiritual maturity, you realize that there is another force within you. There is another aspect of self that does a much better job. Absolutely. I mean, I I looked at the 20s as trying to overcome what you endured in your teen years and justify your worth. And then in your 30s, you're trying to propel that forward based on who you believe yourself to be. And in your 40s, you start to get a clue who you really are. And none of that Precisely. stuff ever matters. Precisely. Yep. Never I, mattered. I think that's, yep. 
I remember the day I first said that. Somebody had asked me a question. I was standing near an elevator at work, and all this stuff just came, rolled out of my mouth. I was like, oh, my God, where's the pen? i got to write that down. But that's – as I look back, I was like, that's true. You know, every, we're trying to deny the judgments placed upon us as teens, and, you know, there's such a uh, desire to prove that our, we have worth and we have value to other people and we want that validation – and then in your 20s, you fight tooth and nail to get it because they can't – you feel they can't get you anymore. But then they they pop up right in front of you in, in different ways, so many different forms, but it's all the same content. you got to believe in yourself. you got to love yourself, and you have to get to this place where you can not only forgive your own judgments but the judgments of others, and that's the true place to peace, true path to peace. Good stuff. Okay, we're going to do number six and then uh, chat a little more. Okay. It is not difficult to relinquish. What's that, that, Dr. Bob? I just said final paragraph. Final (laughs) paragraph. Yeah. It's a a brief but very impactful section. It is not difficult to relinquish judgment, but it is difficult indeed to try to keep it. The teacher of God lays it down happily, and the instant he recognizes its cost – All of the ugliness he sees about him is its outcome. All of the pain he looks upon is its result. All of the loneliness and sense of loss, of passing time and growing hopelessness, of sickening despair and fear of death, all these have come of it. And now he knows that these things need not be. Not one is true. For he has given up their cause, and they, which never were but the effects of his mistaken choice, have fallen from him. Teacher of God, this step will bring you peace. Can it be difficult to want but this? Mm, I get the chills. Amen. All the pain he looks upon is a result of this judgment. Like we mentioned earlier in the show, when when you judge, you're attacking. And when you attack, you're attacking yourself. This is the cause of all that loneliness and sense of loss, passing of time and growing hopelessness. It's because we judge ourselves, the situation, the other people in it. We judge God. You know, we, we judge him. Why, why is God allowing this to happen to me if he's not doing it to me? You know, and, and these are all judgments. And, and they're not going to bring you to a sense of peace until you let them all go. Um, yeah, we project. I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to say we project on God our own <laughs> judgment. You know, so, oh, we make good and bad judgments. So God is now making good and bad judgments. And even though we don't have time. You know, there's uh, another section in the Manual for Teachers, 15, is each one to be judged in the end. Um, you know, there's a section in the workbook, in part two of the workbook, on the last judgment. And what these say is, yeah, everyone's going to get judged in the end, and the judgment is you're a son of God, you know, you are as God created you, you're guiltless, sinless. Uh, and the sooner you realize that, you know, the better it's going to go for you and for everyone. Um so, yes, yeah. we happily lay down judgment the instant we recognize its cost. And it and the cost is huge. It's our it's our happiness. It's our peace. I made a note here. Peace diminishes with every condemnation we attempt to maintain. When we condemn, we're holding ourselves prisoner. That's all we're doing. And judgment reinforces misperception and again separation. So that is the cause of our misery. So in order to get out of it. It may well. How can you just flip it like that? You can. You just make a choice. You do your best, and you relinquish your judgments and all that you would condemn, and you free yourself up to allow peace and love to abide. 
it, it really can be that simple. Don't you agree? Um, in fact, I not only agree, I think it's the only way to do it because if we get lost in the maze of trying to justify letting go of judgment and which judgments we should let go, we're back in the world of illusion. You know, the course offers us this very clean, discriminant, this knife edge of all judgments that you make from your ego mind are, are false and will hurt you. Um, and all judgments you allow Holy Spirit to make for you uh, will lead you to greater peace, greater love, greater light, because his whole job is to do that. And he does know, you know, all the past, future, all the outcome on everyone. That's another beautiful thing about the Course. When you do your work, you're not just doing it for you. You're doing it for the entire fractured sonship, you know. Mm. Your, your, your shift, your ability in any given moment to even say about one judgment, you know, I'm going to let this go. Uh, I choose love instead of fear. I choose peace instead of conflict. Your ability to do that can literally echo around the world and and have consequences in places uh, far away and, and with people that you never know and never will meet physically. Um, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It's a holographic learning circumstance where as each piece, as each part begins to wake up, we make it increasingly possible and likely that other parts will do the same. Mm. That's the plan of the atonement. Um, there it is. So, yeah, Beautiful you're, you're not stuff. just doing this for you. You're doing it for everybody. Yes. Everything you do affects the collective. So, yes. And that's the, isn't that all of our goals, to, to, to be at peace and to be home? You know what I mean? And that's how we get there. Absolutely. So. We all have work to do. And if you're looking for more work to do, um, the next section, section 11, is entitled, How is Peace Possible in This World? That's a good section to read. We also want to reference a few lessons that you might want to look into. Um, Dr. Bob recommends lesson 311 and 151. I also like lesson 198. And um, those uh, will help take you deeper into the concept that this section presents. But I wanted to help you, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get out your pen and take some notes, I wanted to get you started on some practical uh, ways to see, because you might be asking, well, how do I judge? How deeply or how grandly do I judge and condemn? And here's a few tips I've given students over the years if you'd like to participate in this, okay? So number one, make, start small. Make a list of preferences. Make a list, four columns, of everything you love, things that you like, things that you dislike, and then things that you hate. Now, this will give you a distinction of how you feel. So as you look down each item on the list, notice how they make you feel, especially the ones that you dislike and hate. You're going to have a reaction. Just take note of what that reaction might be so that you know where it's coming from, and then you can more readily identify uh, more subtle energies. Um, notice how you defend against um, your judgment and, and easiest to use is the case of a coworker that you just don't get along with and you're judging them before you even walk through the door. So how could you possibly stand in a place of peace with that person? And also recognize that when we're defensive, defense is attack. There's, um, I forget the, do you know the section off the top of your head about the, 
defense as attack. I am attacked, which is less than 135, and then in my defenselessness, my safety lies, which is less than 153. Those are the Thank two you. that go into the idea of defense and attack. Um, Beautiful. You're talking about. Yeah. yeah, so it's, it's pretty simple. Just notice your thoughts and your opinions, especially your opinions. Notice when you're forming an opinion, whether it's for or against, it's still judgment either way. For might seem a little more pleasant, but it's still judgment. And as you practice this, you'll start to notice the subtleties. For instance, how often do you compliment or criticize another? In the case of compliments, you like somebody's outfit. You like the way their hair is styled that day. You like their car. Oh, you look great today. Great outfit. As nice a thing it is to do to compliment others, and it feels good to receive a compliment, but I just want you to recognize a compliment is still a judgment. So this is what we're talking about, not just, you know, condemning Hitler or anything like that, but the small, the the minor things, and these are things we can try to work with, even if um, in, in a small way because of limited time, but just notice your the frequency with which you compliment another or criticize in your mind or verbally. Um, and, and here's one last thing that um, occurred to me early on when I started studying the course. It's about uh, gifts. And when you have a gift-giving invitation, notice how you feel as you're selecting the gift, purchasing the gift, and when you present it to the person and then watch them open it. All this anticipation, and there's a lot of in, there's a lot invested in buying a gift for somebody. And I and, and you'll probably agree, Dr. Bob, gifts are judgments as well, because I noticed, why do I look around people's houses and say, what do they need? Well, it looks like they could use some new bath towels. I'll get them that for Christmas. I judged what this person might want based on what I felt they needed. Make sense? And I think we're also anticipating how grateful they'll be to us for providing them with something that they needed. So it goes to a level of, you know, ego aggrandizement, too. Uh-huh. I think there are certain situations, again, under the guidance of Holy Spirit, where we show up in a certain way for someone or get a certain gift that truly is guided, where, you know, it, it's not motivated by that. But I think for most, yeah, you know, it is. I think even Christmas with kids, you know, we want to see them, we want to see their love for us and so we're buying them piles of stuff and watching them squeal and open it and, and, and being delighted by it. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's wrong. I'm just saying, nope. you know, everything's grist for the mill. Use it all as an opportunity to, um, you know, to exchange uh, the ego's world for spirits. Yeah, it's, it's all about self-awareness. So these are, these are just some of the things you can do. And... Um, I did mention I like lesson 198 too, didn't I? Yeah, yes, did. but that's that's just the little practical things I'd like to offer people so that you know when when they do their little self study, um, it the more you practice, the easier it is to notice these things, the the thoughts, the judgments, even just walking through the doors of a supermarket. You know how many times we look at somebody and say, "Oh God," you know, or or what's that about, or you know, and 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 that's when I that's when I do a lot of work when I have those opportunities to look at each person I encounter as a spark of light as a child of God and um I open my heart and there's a smile on my face and I have some pretty interesting interactions when I do that you know so those are that's a good place to start do you have any practical tips Dr. Yeah, Bob I have that you one um one very practical one um which is 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 
you know, used across many different spiritual systems. I mean, if all judgment is ultimately predicated upon the past, you know, we're making our judgments based on what we saw in the past, what we experienced with a person. Hey, he was mean to me. I'm not going near him. I'm going to hurt him, whatever. Mm-hmm. If in any given moment where we become aware of a judgment arising, particularly a negative judgment, if you can simply suspend the past and, in a sense, be born again into that instant, all right, you're standing there, you're looking at this person, you know nothing about them, you know nothing about bodies, you know whether they're tall, short, fat, thin, uh, attractive, ugly, doesn't matter, you have no basis to judge any of that, you know, as if you've just you know, Star Trek just beamed you down on this alien planet where you know nothing. It's very freeing of judgment. Um, in Zen, you know, they, they talk about it as beginner's mind. If you approach a situation purely from the perspective of the present, then you're not making judgments and you can't make judgments. And what tends to happen is you enter what the Course calls a holy instant, where all you're going to be aware of is the similarity between you and that person, not at a body or a personality level, but at a spirit level, that they are love, that you are love, and you, crazily enough, start to get responses from these people that you had judged as, you know, negative and undeserving, you get very different responses coming back. Uh, I frequently had the situation in psychotherapy where a new patient would come in and I would find myself full of judgments on the basis of one session and often thinking, oh, I don't like this, I don't like that. And two or three sessions later, understanding that person, entering the relationship from a place of I want to be of service, I want to help, I want to heal, suddenly I love them. And whatever the thing that I didn't like about it, I not only understand it in that bigger framework, um, I'm happy to help with it. And maybe it's even right for them, you know, uh, right for them mm. at this stage of their learning. So I, I, I strongly recommend um, when you become aware that you have made a judgment and that it has disturbed your ability to be at peace, recognize that, you know, you've hooked into some part of the past and go to that Zen beginner's mind. Go to that, you know, I just got beamed down onto a new planet let go of the past, and in that perception, which is the holy instant, you will you will you will see your brother differently, and there and you, the response will change. Mm-hmm. And you will free yourself. It's yes. all beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Well, this this was a lot of fun. Um, it's good to have you back. I I know you Thank went you. through a lot, but um, yep. I'm, I'm sure and things will settle in. That I'd like to make. Okay. Yeah, um, for those who are uh, listening live or listening to this shortly after, you know, we we recorded it, uh, I'd like to make you aware, if you're not already, that um, the group Miracle Share is having a virtual Course in Miracles conference in October, October 21st through 23rd. This is the easiest conference to be in because you can do it from your phone or computer. Um, you know, the, 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 the topic is healing all relationships, which certainly is right at the core of A Course in Miracles. I don't know how many different teachers, but if they've got two and a half days, it's got to be a lot of them. Um, I'm, I will be um, talking, uh, and the way it works is we each taped a 30-minute segment on the topic. 
which will be streamed at a particular time uh, in the schedule. But then the next 30 minutes will be live Q&A. So if you have questions on relationships or really any other subject, if you want to interact with um, a, a Course in Miracles teacher who you were particularly fond of, I would definitely you know, check this out. And you can find it at miraclesharconference.org, miraclesharconference.org. Um, you can look at the schedule. You can look at the presenters. But I think you know, the whole concept of a virtual conference is, well, heck, we're living in, you know, techno world, uh, streaming. Yeah. This is the way, this is the way to go, they tell me. <laughs> so I, I would, I would definitely recommend it. Um, okay. And who put that all together, uh, Dr. Bell? Um, the Miracle Share group. So, um, you know, that, I mean, I know Corinne Zupko um, from, you know, back east, uh, but she and Danielle Boonstra and um, Craig uh, Villanueva, I think, are the three main um, players. I know okay. Gabby Bernstein, who's written a couple of books, uh, is kind of involved with them as well. This is the third year they've done it. I, I spoke the first year, um, skipped last year, and uh, back again this year. Um, and as I said, I really, you know, really love the topics. Um, but okay. it looks like, you know, a good a good field of presenters. That sounds great. And you said that's in October 21st through the 23rd? That's correct, exactly. Okay. Okay, just to repeat that. Sounds good. All right, everybody check that out if you're interested. Um, that and, and I love when there's a variety of teachers. It 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 just it yeah. it moves and and they you hear their own unique perspective and choice of words and there's something for everybody from everybody. I I love those things. I did one last year with a group here in Florida. Um and we all got up. There was I don't know how many, but it was a full day. But I really, it was so nice to get up and share. And um, it, the topic was largely, you know, how did A Course in Miracles come to you? So I got to share that story, which is pretty trippy. And um, it was a great time. Had a, a wonderful time there. So Yeah, I, I, I think having, a, you know, buffet-style conference is a good idea. Obviously, you can only do one live Q&A at a time. So if you have questions, you're going to have to, you know, be, 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 be present at your uh, – your internet device uh, during that time. But I believe if you sign up, you are able to tune in to any of the talks and any of the Q&A, you know, after the fact for, uh, you know, hopefully for forever. So it's not like you have to, you know, stay at home for two days and, you know, drink from a bottle and, uh, you know, go <laughs> to the bathroom when you can. Um, you know, just like our chars and my talks here, you can tap in whenever you want. But given the live Q&A, it's a great opportunity to interact and, you know, uh, ask questions from, you know, those those uh, teachers, uh, you know, who you like or have always been curious about. Yeah, sounds good. All, all right. right. So good to have you back. Congratulations once again Thanks on your so new for all you do. position. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, I'm, and I'm doing a lot more. Where do we uh, get together and have a chat? Good stuff. All right, yeah, and we're okay. going to do that. <laughs> uh huh. And then Alrighty we'll then. do this mm-hmm. again on Thursday, October thirteenth. Is that our next date for next month? Next okay. Month. Yep. Yeah, I don't have my exactly. schedule in front of me. It's in right it's in your my file book right now. Okay. okay. All right, good. and we'll and we'll talk in between. Okay, so from 
for our prayer today from Choose Once Again, Selections from A Course in Miracles, published by the Foundation for Inner Peace. I am on page 34, and I thought this was apropos for the discussion today, and I will read it, and then I will talk to you soon, Bob, okay? Sounds good. Thank you. All right, then. Here we go. Perhaps you think that different kinds of love are possible. Perhaps you think there is a kind of love for this, a kind for that, a way of loving one, another way of loving still another. Love is one. It has no separate parts and no degrees, no kinds nor levels, no divergencies and no distinctions. It is like itself, unchanged throughout. It never alters with a person or a circumstance. It is the heart of God and also of his son. Love cannot judge as it is one as it is one itself. It looks on all as one. Its meaning lies in oneness, and it must elude the mind that thinks of it as partial or in part. There is no love but God's, and all of love is his. There is no other principle that rules where love is not. Love is a law without an opposite. Its wholeness is the power holding everything as one, the link between the Father and the Son, which holds them both forever as the same. I bless you, brother, with the love of God, which I would share with you, for I would learn the joyous lesson that there is no love but God's and yours and mine and everyone's. Amen. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless and be at peace.